there's been a pattern where uh, when society moves towards anything that even resembles uh, equity or justice um, or consciousness towards black and brown people or oppressed oppressed people, that there's a, there's a white lash, right? Where like the white majority, uh, white male and female uh, will majority will um, the majority of that majority will push back in some way. And so, uh, you know, it's, it shouldn't be looked upon as a surprise. And I really think that, like, it's important for all professionals, particularly those who have any type of relation to people. So leaders, HR, consultants, um, whoever, like to study American history and to study um, like, you know, we've we've been here before we continue to like cycle on this on this thing of white lash. That was Living Corporate CEO Zach Nunn framing the recent apolitical conversations in a historical context. I'm really excited to share this conversation with Zach. We get into his podcast and media platform, Living Corporate, and so much more. So we'll be back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR. I am your host, Lars Schmidt. And today I'm really excited to be joined by the CEO of Living Corporate, Zach Nunn. Uh, Zach and I have a lot to cover. He is a man that is up to a lot of stuff and I want to, I want to dig into all of that uh, for myself and for the listeners. So uh, Zach, thanks so much for coming on, man. Why don't you start off with an intro and uh, background on yourself for the listeners? Well, first of all, Lars, thank you so much for having me, man. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Um, yeah, look, you know, background on me starts with my family. So uh, both sides of my family um, were sharecroppers in Mississippi, uh, picking cotton. And on my mom's side of the family, I'm the first man to start and graduate from a four-year university. Then on my dad's side, I'm a a second generation reader, right? So my dad taught my my dad and my uncle taught my grandfather how to read, and so that that context is important because when I graduated from the University of Houston, go Cougs! In three years, I didn't have like this organic network of people to talk to me about really just navigating majority white spaces. Um, I was came in as an HR manager at a major retailer, and continued on. And I've had some really good success, right? Like I've, I've, I, I have done and am doing well in corporate America, quote unquote. But it's not come without its share of scrapes and bruises and you know burn marks. Um, and so I looked up one day, Lars, and I said, "Man, what does it look like for other folks that look like me?" Because my profile is not that rare. What does it look like uh, to create a space for other people who are often the onlys in their workplaces? And to flatten access um, for authentic conversations and um, and wisdom, impartation of wisdom to those onlys in the space. And honestly, also have a really have more frank conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion that aren't so hyper focused on 
white gaze or white comfort gaze g-a-z-e to be very clear because i've gotten a couple emails white g-a-z-e people looking at you um what is that you know what does that really look like and so that's where living corporate comes in living corporate our tagline is real talk in a corporate world we are a digital media network we create blogs podcasts web series all focused on centering and amplifying black and brown historically marginalized voices at work and so we've been uh, going on for a little over three years now We've had um, CEOs, other executives, um, entrepreneurs, activists, celebrities, influencers, authors, professors, all come on our platform, you know, over 400 and like 20 something podcasts, um, dozens of web series, dozens of blogs, a few white papers, um, newsletters, the list goes on and on. But again, like we're really trying to make like real tangible um, impacts when it comes to and really tangible discussions around diversity, equity, inclusion without having to use that jargon all the time. We're just talking about what does it mean to like really navigate these spaces as a black or a brown person. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate the the overview. And I, I want to kind of come back to that that first role. Like you're you're right at a college, you're trying to learn how to navigate those white spaces. You don't have a lot to kind of call upon to help you, you know figure out how to navigate those waters. Like what, what for you, like making that adjustment, I'm sure a lot of the lessons and, and things that you've experienced, then you're, you're kind of bringing into living corporate, but how, how did you navigate that? Like, how did you find your way around that space? So, you know, I'm a fairly gregarious person and I'm also, um, you know, I'm an, I am an, an extroverted introvert. So, you know, I can, I can get out there. And so um, I, I believe that I, I just, I just was graced with some people who were really patient with me and who were willing to help me. Um, I asked a lot of questions. I made myself available. Um, and, and I tried not to like miss too bad, right? Like if I swing and I miss, I'm not swinging on stuff. That's just crazy. Right? Like I tried to be um, thoughtful about uh, the things that I said and did. And I was trying to also observe. Yeah. Right. So like I was one of the onlys, like being, I was the only black man um, who was an HR manager um, at you know at my first job, but I wasn't the only employee, so I would just wait and just see what everybody else was doing, and then I would use that as a barometer of like, okay, here's what I can do and here's what I can't do. I mean, again, still I might make mistakes, but I really tried to just be observant of like my environment, man, and like, um, and just be cautious because the truth of the matter is, you know, I you know I was walking on a tightrope, and right. what does it really look like to make sure that like I'm just not making the obvious blunders that other folks may make or may have the space or grace to make. I was like, okay, I saw they did this. I know I can't do that. Um, let me see if I can ask somebody a couple of questions over to the side, even if they don't necessarily look like me, what is it? I, I still got to put myself out there and try um, and try to learn. Right. And so that's what I did a lot. Yeah. And what was it about HR? Like when you, uh, did, did you, did you know you wanted to get in that field when you went to school? Is it, uh, I'm always curious kind of how people find their way to HR initially. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I really just, you know, my passion has always been people. Like I've always been interested in people. Like before I was in HR, before I changed my major in college to applied business, I was a music education major. Um, I got a music scholarship to the university of Houston because I love connecting with people through music. And so HR uh, to me felt like another avenue to connect to people. And so that's really what got me. 
Yeah, that's a, do you still play? What what did you what what do you, what was your instrument or what? Yeah, what so 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 I played I played tuba, man. I played yeah. tuba, and then I did some music arrangement and composition. I don't play tuba anymore. I haven't played in goodness gracious like 12, 13 years. Um, but I love music, right? Like I I proposed to uh, my wife uh, by um, writing and uh, singing, and it was like a song that I produced. A friend of mine like he he mastered it. But I yeah. wrote a song and I sang on it and I rapped on it and so I'm I'm still very passionate about. I mean that was eight years ago now, but still like I music is very much so a part of me. But I haven't played uh, classical tuba in uh, yeah well over a decade. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know I think uh, it's interesting. Like uh, especially an instrument like that. Like I imagine it's like you've got to just keep playing to keep playing, and the moment you kind of stop, it, it's probably hard to get back into. It's, oh, like, it's like a guitar. You can just have laid around. Like, yeah, I'm just going to strum some Oh, my chords. gosh, man. Yeah, I mean, and on top of that, like, you know, you want to talk about, like, you know, an example of, like, access and equity. Like, those tubas, you know, I, I played I played on my, on the school instrument, right? But, like, to to be, like, a casual tuba player, that's like having, like, 16, 17 Gs just laying around. Now, you might be able to get a nice used one for, like, seven or eight, but still, like, you know, you're talking about a car, right? Yeah. So, so, like, no, I, I haven't, I haven't picked it up, and... Um, there are days when I miss it, right? Um, you know, I have a little one now, and um, I, th- I I project like I like think a lot of parents do. They project their their dreams and passions on their kids, which is not not healthy. Uh, but I think I was like, man, I, I wish we had a little too, but she could kind of just at least see it um, or see me playing it, you know. So, um, but no, I haven't. I, you know, maybe one day, man. Um, maybe I trip over a um, a couple bags of Bitcoin um, <laughs> and I'll buy a, I'll buy a tuba. Yeah, man, that's uh, I, I just that whole space is uh, is over my head, man. I've followed it for a little bit. I'm just like, yeah, it seems interesting that Elon says a tweet that blows up the whole market. So I'm like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, so I wanted like getting back to your HR career for a moment. You know, you you started on the corporate side, and then you know you switched over to consulting, and since kind of your HR career has been centered in in consulting roles and kind of organizations. What was it about the the shift to that environment that that appealed to you? Why was why 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 did you kind of find yourself a home in that in that consulting space? Yeah, so you know, I think I think for me, I was looking for a space to like really advise and consult like genuinely consult and like help people solve their problems. I think my experience as like a formal HR manager was so transactional. Yeah. And I also think because I was an HR manager at, in like in a big box retail context, everything very much so is set to a planogram, including the role. Right. Your parameters are very set and static. And so there wasn't as much space to be creative, flex and grow um, different skill sets, whereas I believe consulting um, gives you more space to do that. And so for me, you know, that's that's what I think about. Um, and that's what really attracted me to. Um, to pursue that avenue of HR. Yeah. Unless, so, you know, I want to kind of jump in the, uh, the time machine and, and jump back to March of 2018 when you, uh, when you launched Living Corporate. Walk me through that, that kind of, I'm, I'm always interested in learning more about like an origin story of how things came to be. So like how, what, what, what was the point where you're like, I, I need to create this. And what was that, what was that journey like for you? And then I'm also curious, like, from the name living corporate standpoint, like I'm sure there's, uh, I want to kind of get the the context of like how you landed on that name as well. I had been talking to my friends. I want to shout out Dion Ivory, but, uh, and my wife, Candace. Um, and 
both of them, more so Candace, really, was encouraging me, look, just do this. Like, you need a hobby, like, check it out. Like, you have all these ideas, you have these, you have these topics that you really want to dig into, and you've already done the research, you know that this does, doesn't really exist. Just go for it. And, you know, I was in a place of real just disillusionment with my job at the time, and just looking for something to, like, looking for another spark, right? Looking for purpose and identity outside of my nine to five. And, um, you know, there's a group chat that I was a part of, um, over a thousand black consultants. It's called the black consultants group me very, uh, very, uh, uninspired name, just very straightforward black consultants group me. Um, it's like a thousand people in there at the time. And I said, Hey, look, I'm trying to create this thing who wants to jump on and like a handful of people raise their hands. And, uh, it's been rolling since then, man. Yeah. And so living corporate, like how, how did you land on the name? So yeah, the name, thank you for that. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. So living corporate. Um, so there was a sitcom before friends called living single. Yes. Living, living single essentially was friends. Um, just the idea of these black folks living, uh, <laughs> living and doing life while just being who they are. Right. And living single was literally like, literally like one of the, it was like the number one show. Um, and what I loved about living single is again, like it's all these different black folks just doing what they're doing, but they happen to be, um, you know, in corporate America. Um, some of them are creatives. Others are lawyers. Others are in finance. Others like, like the, one of the main characters has a magazine, right? So they're like, they're all, they're all just doing their thing. Um, and they're going about life as black folks, like in the city in the nineties. And what I love about that is like, man, we didn't, it wasn't necessarily seen as a quote unquote black show. They were just doing what they're doing. And, but they were definitely black and we, and they talked about black culture and it was, you know, they, they shouted out HBCUs. It was just, it, it very much so felt, um, it felt like a hug every time I watched the show, but at the same time, it's, it was still a national, hit so like everybody watched living single. like like you know and lars like you're you you remember living single like, i do there was, yeah right you remember like all those like all those cameos they had a, a bunch of stars right. on living single it, it wasn't like this is like a black thing like people everybody watched living single point is is that like what i loved about living single like all of that just like the natural just like hey we're just out here we're living life we're doing what we're doing um and unapologetically that's what really attracted me and so i thought about living corporate like what does it look like to be um, on the margins, just doing what you're doing, and you just happen to be black and brown. You're at work, and what does it really look like to like live your life? Like, what does it look? What does life look like? What does lived experience look like in these white majority contexts? For uh, again, for someone on the margins, and so like that's where the name came from. And like when you look at um, when you look at our content. And when you listen to our theme song, like if you listen to like Living Corporate's podcast, the, the theme song is a play on the living single song. Like we flip that beat. We we make it a little bit more current. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's it, man. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a genuine fan of um, the show. And again, just like the 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 subversive message of like we're out here living life. We're just like everybody else. In terms of the fact that we're human beings too, we deserve to navigate. We deserve to uh, have careers. We deserve to enjoy the lives that we have. 
Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now brought into a entire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's cool you're able to kind of pay homage to the to your muse in the theme song. I actually didn't catch that. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and, uh, and list it again so I could, I could pick up on that. Well, you know, you, you mentioned um, over 420 episodes. Like, that's, that's incredibly prolific. And this is probably a super unfair question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, what, when, you, when you look back at your past episodes, what does, does one episode or, or a moment in an episode stand out to you above the others? Like, what, like what, what, when you look back, I mean, it's a big body of work. So I know the question's kind of unfair, but I'm sure you've probably yeah. had a couple of those conversations that just, they just froze you, uh, you know, in, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there, there are a couple, um, there are a couple that really stick out to me. Um, you know, I, I'll say, I'm going to say that I had a conversation with, uh, Valissa Thompson, Melissa Thompson is the CEO and founder of Ramp Your Voice. Um, she's a disability advocate, um, really focused on um, on uh, the the uh, on ableism and access and in in, uh, accessibility for uh, for black and for folks who are also black and brown. Um, so um, she'll go again. Focused on people on she's a movement and a for people with disabilities, but um, she definitely will focus in on on how whitewashed um, narratives around disability are. And you so and the reason why I went with Valissa um, Valissa Thompson is because you you said the word froze, and I realized that you know disability is still something that um, when I think about privilege, right? Because privilege is relative. You know, able-bodied privilege is such a real thing, and our conversation around um, disability and the lack of intersectionality within that space just really, really stuck me, and it it checked me, Lars, in real time um, as it pertains to just how privileged I am when it comes to uh, being able-bodied, and how I I literally don't even think about. Um, the perspective and experience of disabled people all the time. Like I think about other experiences and identities all the time. And it's very easy for me when I don't check my privilege to not consistently center them back in my ethic, but it's important. And so that's one that really sticks out. You're right. Your question wasn't fair. Um, But, (laughs) but you know, if I can, if I can choose a couple more, I'm going to say, yeah, please. So I'm going to say, um, the interview that I had with uh, Ellen McGirt, senior editor at Fortune Magazine, um, and that stuck out to me because we were talking about 
we were talking about her role and how she navigates the politics of her position, the managing expectations, working at Fortune, dismantling white supremacist systems, her voice, what a, how, and how she balances all those things. And that was like really complex. And it was really meta too. And so that one stuck out to me as well. And then the last one I'll say um, is, um, is my conversation with Michael C. Bush, who's the CEO and founder of Great Place to Work. And we were talking about data, uh, the role of data, um, how, um, how organizations are going to use data in the future regarding diversity, equity, inclusion, um, how, how predictive analytics are going to continue to evolve to determine the likelihood of uh, litigious activity, um, depending on like just different discriminatory behaviors and actions. And so that was like really eye opening because I, she, he was talking to me about just like not only like the tech of the future, but the tech of the present. And so that was really dope, too. Now, look, I could ramble. But I, because there's a lot more. But when I think about ones that stuck me or that really stick with me, those are those are a few. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, and I knew it was the unfair question, so that's why I I had to check myself on it before even asking. But it's uh, I think your, you know, your your role as a uh, as both a storyteller and as somebody providing a platform for stories to be told, right? I think it exposes you to so many different. Um, life experiences, opinions, perspectives, uh, uh, you know, some, sometimes that align with your own and sometimes that, that very much don't, I would imagine. And like, it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a privilege to also kind of be in that role where you're, you're trusted with those stories and, um, and, and you get to just learn from that experience. And I think broad, you know, I think for a lot of podcasts, it's, it's like you, you, it'll, some ways it's selfish, right? Like you get to broaden your own 100%. perspective and experience while, while sharing that, that learning in that, that experience and those stories with your listeners. 100%. You know, there are so many times that like, like, okay. So another one, right. So like Nicole Hannah Jones, like I, I, I chased her down for, for, and she was um, so gracious in wanting to, and like being willing to speak to me, but I chased her down, not only because I knew it would be good for the podcast, but I selfishly just wanted to interview her because she's a <laughs> she's a hero of mine. Like, what? Yeah. Like, she's incredible. Um, and, and I walked away from that conversation just being encouraged, uh, feeling really affirmed. The same thing can be said for Howard Bryant, who's like a senior contributor with ESPN and NPR, right? But you're right. Like, I, and I've shared this a couple of times on Living Corporate that like, look, Living Corporate is for me, right? Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not over here like this, like, you know, selfless servant of the people. I'm glad that people listen to Living Corporate, but Laura's like, if they had, if my podcast had zero downloads, I would still create them purely because they've been so uh, beneficial and educational just for me, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can, I can completely relate, and I, I feel exactly the same way. It's like it's a privilege to be able to share those conversations, but even if you couldn't. You know, for your own selfish, uh, you know, benefits and curiosity, it's uh, you, you do them anyway. So I definitely I, that that resonates with me. I think I feel the same way. Um, I want to get into you know, kind of current climate and and where we are today. This you know, we're we're recording this episode uh, almost one year to the week uh, uh, since George Floyd's murder, and and obviously a lot has happened. Uh, externally in terms of the the discourse and the kind of conversations that are taking place within HR, but also within society around social justice and racism and anti-racism. And, you know, in the corporate side, we're, we're seeing a 
a backlash in some senses from some organizations that are, you know, thinking that they can actually, uh, you know, deeming those kinds of conversations political and feeling that, uh, you know, as a business and as an organization, they should be apolitical, whether it's, you know, Coinbase or more recently Basecamp. Base yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it, when, when you look at, when you examine these situations, like a hundred percent of these scenarios are white men making these decisions because these conversations are hard or they're, you know, quote, I'm using finger quotes, but they're, they're, they're framing them as hard or a distraction. And I am, you know, seeing that unfold and obviously, you know, I think Basecamp dropped like over 30% of their employees right after they announced that, you know, right. Coinbase certainly had some turnover. Like what, how do you see this? What's your perspective on like how this is, this is playing out this, this kind of, uh, this moment in time in a broader movement and particular kind of the, 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 the company and business context with some companies trying to, you know, push back against, uh, you know, this increased kind of consciousness and conversation around racial equity. Yeah. You know, one, um, I, I think it's important just to look at like historical trends. And so like the first thing is, is that there's been a pattern where, uh, when society moves towards anything that even resembles uh, equity or justice um, or consciousness towards black and brown people or oppressed oppressed people, that there's a, there's a white lash, right? Where like the white majority, yeah. uh, white male and female uh, will majority will um, the majority of that majority will push back in some way. And so, uh, you know, it's, it shouldn't be looked upon as a surprise. And I really think that, like, it's important for all professionals, particularly those who have any type of relation to people. So leaders, HR, consultants, um, whoever, like to study American history and to study um, like, you know, we've we've been here before we continue to like cycle on this on this thing of white lash. And I think it's important Um so so when you talk about kind of like where we're at, I think, you know, we're going to continue to grow increasingly polarized in terms of I think that just when I say polarized, what I mean, I really what I really mean is we're going to grow con increasingly binary. I do yeah. believe that, like, there will be more companies that take on a position of a base camp of a coin base. And then I think you'll see companies that don't take on a position like a base camp or a coin and who really like really fully lean into those dialogues, right? Like when you think about a survey monkey, when you think about a Dropbox, like there are, there are examples of Ben and Jerry's, like there's organizations yeah. out there that are like, no, we're gonna, and so I think what's what's gonna be, what's curious about this is that like, when you, and you said it, right? This, it's white men making these decisions. Right. Um, it's that, like, and I, I find it hard to believe, Lars, that they don't know this. When you make those types of decisions, you're, you are attracting a certain political profile to your business. And so what's going to happen is in like three or four years, like those organizations, Coinbase, Basecamp, they're going to look a certain way and they're going to behave a very specific way. And it's going to be hard to push back against that culture because of the, um, the norms that you've manufactured at your business. And right. so, you know, what I, what I'm curious about, and I just don't know, is like as this new generation of employee comes in, these Gen Z folks um, who are by and large much smarter than we were at those respective ages, just because of like access to information, um, they're much more socially conscious. I'm curious about like as they really enter the workforce, as they really graduate college, just like will will the base camps and coin bases like 
how will they survive? Because I just I don't believe that because of the way that the word talent's going, I don't see those I don't see those places being sustainable. I see competition rising up, attracting the talent that they're gonna need to really innovate and grow. And I just don't I don't see them lasting, man. Yeah, it's uh you know it's interesting. I think that there is, you know, and I agree with you, there there are some people who will be drawn to that. And there will be some people who, you know, maybe wouldn't have considered them before. Uh, and now, you know, they're kind of on their radar. And, you know, that's a pretty homogenous, uh, you know, uh, archetype of, of employee. And it's interesting. I think is is this plays out over time. It's like you have, you know, the, the apolitical, the Coinbase's base camps uh, on one side. And you have, you know, specifically stated anti-racist on the other side with, you know, Peloton and, culture amp and, and smart recruiters. And so, you know, diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, uh, you know, views and framing. And you're right. I think especially for younger talent, it's clear who's going to have an advantage uh, of where they're pulling talent from. But it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's watching it and observing it and seeing the, you know, even after Coinbase made their announcement and then certainly after Basecamp did as well, like the people lauding those decisions, like are, are you know, white venture capitalists, men, men for the most part, uh, in Silicon Valley for the, you know, you don't, you don't see like, there's a very certain, a very particular demographic that is championing that move. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it seems pretty clear as to why that is and, and how that's structured. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that does play out over time. Oh. Yep. Yeah, what one question you know for you? I think you you're you've talked about the living corporate platform evolving and growing, and you've got a a massive kind of group of of podcast episodes. But I you're, you, I know you're branching out even beyond that. So what's next for living corporate? I, I guess you know two part question. One, you know what's next when you think? And I'm not going to give you that cheesy interview question of like where do you see yourself in five years? But like <laughs> I, know, I know you've got you've got thoughts and, and aspirations and ideas of how you see this platform uh, scaling uh, and growing. And so I'd love to, to kind of get learn more about your plans for that. And then also just for listeners that may be new to living corporate, um, where can they find you? Where can they engage with your content? Where can they learn from you? Yeah, so um, you know, living corporate, I see, I see a couple things. Um, we've already talked about the fact that we're not just a podcast; we have multiple podcasts. Uh, we have different live web series, and then we have blogs, written content, and white papers. So, where I see living corporate going in the future is really just building the audiences in those various places, and then also launching new web series, and then launching limited series, more like document, documentary, documentary style podcast to talk about very specific experiences or perspectives. Um, and so, you know, I, I really just see us like doubling and tripling down on our value proposition, which is a diversity, equity, inclusion media network. That's where I really see us focusing um, for the next uh, several years. And then um, to your other question around, just like for those who have not heard of living corporate, like where you can find and learn more about us is living dash corporate.com please say the dash living dash corporate.com and if you forget that just google living corporate okay and we will pop up our seo is strong enough now type in living corporate you will see something from our podcast our web show our blog or some type of white paper a press release you'll see something from us if you just type in living corporate but if you want to go to the website it's living dash corporate.com 
Yeah, and if you're listening, uh, go there, mash the subscribe button, read the blog posts, follow the the different podcasts and series, and really all the work. I think you're doing incredible work, and you're highlighting stories that uh, that need to be told. And I think particularly for HR practitioners, uh, if you're committed to being a modern HR operator, the, the, you know you need to have a broad range uh, of inputs that you could learn from. And uh, Zach is a master storyteller in this space, so uh, definitely follow the work that uh, that you're doing in the podcasts. And uh, you know, Zach, I wanna I wanna kind of shift gears a little bit to just a little uh, little way that we end the episodes uh, called a lightning round. And this is just to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better with some quick hit questions and uh, you know answers around one sentence. So you ready to uh, you ready to rock on this? Let's do it. All right, I am checking out your Spotify playlists. Who am I gonna learn are Zach's top three artists? Yep. So you got Drake. J. Cole and Robert Glasper. All right. Uh, your least favorite HR buzzword. At the same time, <laughs> I can understand. Sorry, just a phrase I hate. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a new one. You know, it's funny. I like every now and then. Actually, I'm, I'm probably lying a little bit. Uh, more often than I'm comfortable with. Uh, some I guess will call out something that I that I use on occasion. I think once it happened in the question that I actually used to ask the question and I was like, Oh man, I'm that person, aren't I? So yeah, I, l- luckily the, at, at the same time, that is not one. Just trying is, to, uh, just, I just, I just, HR, HR tries to play both sides too much, man. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes your employer is just wrong. Sometimes your employee is being mistreated. Like you gotta stop trying to play both sides of the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, that's actually a great point. That that's come up on a couple episodes recently where I think it's, you know, there's this, there's this idea that HR has to be binary and, and the binary choice always slights to the employer, not the employee, right? right? That, that, you know, uh, well, you know, the employer pays HR checks. So like, like I call bullshit on that because I think if you look at modern HR operators, they're able to support both constituents, yeah. right? And, and advise both can they, they don't have to say one or the other. And of course there, there may be some instances that may come down to that, but for the most part, the way they carry themselves, the way they operate, the way they advocate is to the benefit of both sides of that. And so, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I hear you on that one. Um, all right, we're going to get you out of HR. I'm going to pull media off the table on this one too, because you're kind of in, you know, there's two worlds right now, both HR and media. Sure. You can't do either of those things. Uh, what would you be doing? You know, I would I would travel and I do photography. Mm. Yeah. That's a good gig. Yeah. Yeah. So look, you know, um when you even look at like Living Corporate's content, like a lot of the headshots and stuff, like not some of the guests, but like we have other media, right? And like that's my photography. Like I I have a um I have a Nikon D850 um and I was I'm I'm like a I'm a fairly like fairly strong photography enthusiast. You know, and I've I've done some gigs, but I, I love photography. So I would do that. I would travel um, with the fam, get like a big RV uh, or some big minivan. And uh, we just take photos, man. I, you know, I like that. I feel like that is within reach, you know, maybe, maybe not with the RV and everything else, although maybe, but I think adding, adding that to your portal, I mean, it sounds like it's already, it's already there. So I think, uh, I think, yeah, that is, uh, that, that is, that is certainly an, an <laughs> avenue that's yours for the taking. Um, Zach, well, last question for you. Who is one HR practitioner that you admire and why? Um, so someone I really admire who's like 
So they're HR adjacent, like they're, they're, they're in the people community space, is Goddess Rivera. She's the uh, global director of community for Twitter. Um, I really admire her because she's constantly trying to think about ways to create access and awareness and celebration for um, for 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 those on the margins and for black folks specifically at Twitter, because um, if you don't know, black people are what make Twitter so dope, like all the gifts, all the jokes, all the whatever. And so like she gives us space and she celebrates us. And so that's super dope. So I really admire her as a creative um, and as as a leader. And then, um, yeah, man, I'll stick with that. Yeah, that, that that's probably that's my person. All right. All right. Well, Zach, I appreciate you making time to come on the podcast, uh, living-corporate.com. Check everything out. Subscribe. And if people want to connect with you directly, Zach, what's the, what are the best ways for them to connect with you? LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever else uh, it would be best. Yeah. Search for me on LinkedIn. I'm Zachary Nunn. And then on Twitter, I'm Rev Nunn Wisdom. So like Rev Run Wisdom, but it's Rev, R-E-V-N-U-N-N Wisdom. And I'm that on Instagram too. So type in Zach Nunn. You type in Rev Nunn Wisdom. Uh, holla at me and my dms are open don't be sending me thing too freaky i am married but everything else <laughs> get at me I, I i respect that disclaimer uh zach man thanks so much for coming on the podcast uh thank you for the work that you're doing and uh yeah i will uh hopefully bring some new uh subscribers your way and i just appreciate your work and just want to thank you for it hey man i appreciate you lars we'll talk soon man thanks for tuning into this episode of redefining hr For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.